0: Luke, and just to hear the testimony of the work of God's grace in and through this body as it's been displayed to them in very tangible and practical ways, and, and uh, that actually uh, sort of fits into where we're going over the next number of weeks. Open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6, this morning, Matthew chapter 6. I want to speak to you this morning about righteousness. I want to speak to you about righteousness. And I want to speak to you in particular about the role that motives play in determining righteousness. That's uh, probably a a little bit of a different approach to righteousness than, than you and I are commonly accustomed to. Typically when I speak of righteousness or you or I are discussing righteousness, we we focus our conversations upon the legal realities of righteousness. We sort of implicit or even explicitly will ask the question, how can a sinful person be made acceptable before a holy God? That's kind of the question that that lies behind most of our discussions of righteousness. Probably should take a moment, I suppose, to define righteousness for you. So let me just do that. Righteousness is, the, at its most basic level, what God requires. What God requires of us. It's what is acceptable before Him because it is what is in keeping with His character. That's what it means to have righteousness or to be righteous. And so when we talk about righteousness, we we sort of ask that question, we we immediately feel the tension of how can a sinful person be acceptable before a holy God? How can a sinful person display in their character that which is in accordance with God's character? How can we be holy like He is holy? And so that is normally our orientation towards righteousness. Righteousness. The answer to that question is very simply the gospel, isn't it? It is the gospel. What is the gospel? Well, we could probably speak to it in this way. It begins with Adam. Because we are a descendant of Adam, he was our representative and thus... His transgression, his fall, is accounted as ours. When Adam fell, we were rendered sinners by nature. Guilty not only of his transgression, but incapable and unwilling to live a life acceptable before God. Our only hope in escaping this Helpless condition was for God to provide a second Adam, which he did. His name is Jesus Christ. This second Adam would succeed where the first failed. And then willingly offer himself as a substitution to stand in on behalf of his people, to be a guilt offering for his people, and to die In their place. Because this second Adam had no sin, the grave could not hold him. And so God the Father raised him from the dead, and he now is the source and origin of a new humanity made up of all those who embrace his sacrifice by faith. They receive his perfect. Righteousness as a gift. We become part of that new humanity by faith when we believe and trust this message, this gospel message, this good news message. It's at that moment, by virtue of our faith union with Christ, that we are declared righteous before God. We are wrapped in the robe of the righteousness of that second Adam. It's an interesting place to be because although we have been declared not guilty, we have been declared righteous in Christ, we have been declared acceptable in the sight of the Father, we remain in thoughtward indeed sinners. Sinners. But it doesn't end there. That's the, that's the legal side of it. It doesn't just end there something else happens something new something exciting happens the holy spirit of god takes up residence within us that moment of belief god himself takes residence within us and he begins to transform us and and he changes us from the inside out our affections are transformed our the direction of our lives is transformed It's not necessarily observable all at one time, but it's truly changed. Slowly, relentlessly, we begin to emulate Christ in thought, word, and deed. This is the other side of righteousness. The practical side, if you want to say it that way. It's not that we become righteous and and somehow merit God's favor. It's because God has worked in us that we now love Christ. and, And because we love Christ, we desire to live no longer for our own glory, but for His. We desire to please Him out of a love for Him. And that desire begins to manifest itself in a righteous life. The process is not smooth. The results are not always immediately visible. It's frequently accomplished through suffering and pain. But we need not despair. We need not despair. It is certain to come to pass. Because the sovereign God of the universe has predestined it To occur. He will transform me and you if you have trusted in Christ. It is the very image of that second Adam. Beloved, that is the gospel. It is our hope. It is the power to change our lives. But you might ask yourself, what in the world does all that have to do with Matthew? chapter 6. And I'm glad you're asking that question. Because this is a very important section of the Sermon on the Mount. It is in this chapter that Jesus addresses the issues of a practical righteousness. Not the legal side, but the practical side. The outworking of righteousness in the lives of His people, what we do, how we live, the issues that he wants to address. In doing this, he is going to to focus on certain behaviors. And they are like like a window into the soul. They serve as both a confirmation that we truly believe. They serve also as a correction in those areas where our faith in Christ is, is still struggling to assert control. This week and the weeks that follow, the Spirit of God, I pray, will use His Word to search us, examine us, to sift us, to confirm in us, I really believe. I love God. And I want to live in a way that emulates His character. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 40 that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Very insightful statement, by the way. But what it means essentially is is that we tend to emulate our teachers. They have a big impact on who we are, how we turn out. So we need to choose our teachers well, they will impact their lives. Well, the nation of Israel had been very, very deeply influenced by the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees, it had made a very deep impact on that nation, especially in terms of of what constituted the righteousness necessary to enter into Messiah's kingdom. You remember in chapter 5 and verse 20, Jesus addresses that very exact issue. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to do better than your teachers, or you will not enter. Jesus set up in chapter 5 a series of six comparisons, verses 21 to 48. And in those six comparisons, he, he rejected the pharisaical interpretation of the law. You remember, right? You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, what you have been taught will not grant you the righteousness necessary to enter Messiah's kingdom. But here's what I say to you. This is what the heart of the law really is. But now in chapter 6, he's going to turn the corner a little bit. He's going to turn the corner a little bit. And he's not going to be talking about interpretation of the law. He's going to now talk about the practice, the doing of it. And here he is going to reject the pharisaical practice of the law. Chapter 5, he rejects their interpretation. Here he is going to reject their practice. He's going to talk about behaviors. He's going to examine six areas of life. Chapter 6, actually, the the train of thought carries all the way through verse 6 of chapter 7. So that's the unit. 6-1 through 7-6. And in that, he's going to examine six areas of life. He's going to talk about charity. Charity. He's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about fasting. He's going to talk about wealth. He's going to speak about worry, and he's going to speak about judgment. Since we're in a bit of an overview mode this morning, let me read this section for you. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full." But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room and close your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way Our Father who is in heaven. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you... When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the, lam- the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, Your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. For this reason I say to you, Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed themselves like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which is alive today, and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by the standard of measure it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus rejects the pharisaical practice of the law. The beginning part of chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, really 2 through 18. There's a unit here. And it's matters of religious observance. Matters of religious observance. He's so going to address this first when he talks about a practical righteousness. How do we do religion? What are the motives that are behind the things that we do? So in a lead up to that discussion, I want to talk to you this morning about the topic of judging motives, judging motives, not for you to judge your neighbor's motive, but by the power of the Spirit of God for you to judge your own, judging your motives. Verse 1 in this section is really an overarching principle that, sets the the groundwork for what Jesus will talk about in the specific examples of of charity and prayer and fasting. It's the outworking of religious activity. And here's the principle. I'm going to give it to you. This principle is woven all through 2 through 18. Simple principle. Good deeds done for wrong motives are eternally worthless. That's the principle. Good deeds done for wrong motives, are eternally worthless. Actually, that's enough information I could send you home to think about. But we still have half an hour to go, and I want to earn my paycheck. So, <laughs> I'll be a little more specific in the application of this principle. Next week, we will begin to look at the specific religious observances that Jesus points to. What I want to do this morning is I I want to think through three penetrating statements about judging our motives. Three penetrating statements about judging our motives so that we might take the time to engage in this spiritually necessary task of self-evaluation. It's a self-evaluation morning. The first penetrating statement is this, judging our motives is pivotal. Judging our motives is pivotal. Now the word pivotal is defined in the dictionary as this, it's of crucial importance in relation to the development or success of something else. Something is pivotal when it is when it is crucially important to the success or development of something else. And the something else that we're talking about is behavior that is acceptable and pleasing in the sight of God. Righteousness. Righteousness. So judging our motives is pivotal to understanding what is righteousness. What is righteousness? Now, take a look at verse 1 with me. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Notice that first word, beware. Beware. Jesus begins this section with a warning. This is a word of warning. The word beware. It could be translated to take heed, to be careful, to concentrate on. It is to draw our attention. That first word. Listen up, pay attention, focus, concentrate, beware. There is something important to be said here. And what is of great importance here is the issue of motives. Pay attention to the central issue of motives that stand behind any act of religious observance, any act of righteousness. Motives. Motives said this way, why do you do what you do? Pay attention, concentrate, ask yourself the question, why do I do what I do? Jesus says very simply here in verse 1 that in order for our religious activities to be considered righteous in the sight of God, then they must be motivated by a desire to serve and honor Him. It's that simple. If and only if the desire is to serve and honor Him, then the act of devotion is acceptable before God and is indeed righteous. It is a behavior that flows out of the work that God has already done in us. If we perform our religious duties, our religious activities, in order to enhance our own reputation, notice he says, practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. If we're doing it for our reputation, if we're doing it to enhance our standing in the sight of other people, then they are no longer acts of divine service and that they are therefore void of all eternal benefit. All right, You have no reward, it says, at the end of verse 1. You have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Now the reality of this situation, of this overarching statement, Jesus is going to enforce and, uh, and reinforce in the three examples that follow. So take a look at the end of verse 2. I just want to kind of point this out to you. There's a lot of symmetry here. It's one message being driven home over and over again. Notice the end of verse 2. It says, Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. The end of verse 5. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. The end of verse 16, where it says, Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. And what is saying is simply this. If you're looking to gain reward before people... That when you get it, you've got what you went after. You've received the thing that you were searching for. But as followers of Christ, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to guard against this perverse temptation. A perverse temptation to to do good deeds in order to be seen by others. When we do it, we forfeit the blessing of God. Back in chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify you. No, it doesn't end that way, does it? So that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father who is in heaven. See, it's, it's all about the motive. It's all about the motive. You cannot glorify the Father and yourself at the same time. It's a zero-sum game. One receives glory, the other receives no glory. It cannot be split, it cannot be shared. We can't give God 80% and retain 20% for ourselves. I have a quote for you here, I, I believe. Good deeds cannot merit more than one reward. To gain it from men is to lose it from God. It's really kind of an insightful statement. A good deed cannot merit more than one reward. You only get one gold medal at the Olympics for an event. You don't get two. So we kind of know that, right? That's how life works. But we forget We forget. We think, well, I can get the gold medal and God can get a gold medal too for the same activity. And Jesus says, no way. No way. You gain the reward from men, you forfeit the reward with God. What an incredible tragedy, don't you think? What an incredible tragedy to spend your whole life or a considerable portion of your life uh, serving God. And at the end of it all, it's all incinerated like so much wood, hay, and stubble. Because the motives behind it rendered it worthless. Rendered it worthless. Of course, the ultimate expression of this tragedy would be the Pharisees. Nobody pursued external deeds of righteousness on a comparative level with the Pharisees. Nobody. And yet, their lives were full of hypocrisy, deceit. Self-deceit. They didn't sit down and think, how am I going to cheat God? They deceived themselves into thinking that somehow Two rewards could be handed out for the same event. Their lives are the epitome of religious devotion. Later, Jesus says, Listen, you, you tithe everything right down to the, to the seeds in your kitchen, the spices. Nine for me, one for God. And yet your whole life is all burned up. No value. Judging our motives is pivotal. So do we have any hope? How can we evaluate our our motives? Well, the answer is yes, we, we do have help. Judging our motives is possible. It's the next penetrating statement. Judging our motives is possible. And the key to doing it is, is twofold, as Jesus gives us here. It, it relates to the public and private aspects of our lives. can be done. Start with the public side. And begin, we, we, ask, we need to ask ourselves this question. Are we, are we content to minister absent Public notice. Are you content to minister absent public notice? Notice in the three examples that Jesus gives, he he cites the the overall public aspect to these religious activities. Verse 2 again. It's the giving of charity, giving to the poor. He says, you do it in the synagogues and in the streets. You sound the trumpet in the synagogues and in the streets so that you may be honored by men. It's a very public aspect to it. Down to verse 5. When you you pray, you, you pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that you may be seen by men. Verse 16. When you fast, you... You neglect the appearance of your face so that you look like you're fasting, so that people will say, "Are you fasting?" Yes, as a matter of fact, I am. In all three of these examples, you you get the idea that the offenders have arranged the circumstances in such a way that they'll be noticed. All right? They're out on the street corners. They don't comb their hair. They want to be noticed. They want maximum public exposure. Blowing trumpets. So here's a, here's a way to test the motive, right? We're evaluating motives here, right? Judging our motives is possible. One way to test your motivation for ministry is to go without being thanked. To go without being thanked. To to go without being recognized. To go without even being noticed for what you do. To be taken for granted. To be taken for granted. And then how do you respond? When you are taken for granted... When you are not thanked, when you are not noticed, when nobody recognizes what you do, how does it make you feel? Do you chafe under that? Do you you crave the appreciation? You're offended if you don't receive it. To the extent that's true, then... I submit to you that your motive is not pure. That the gold has alloys mixed with it. You desire your own glory. Jesus is very clear about that. There's only one reward to be given. There's only one person who can have glory, and if you take it, that's all there is. We kind of illustrate it this way. There's a number of versions of this story that are available and on the Internet. and I'll just give you this version. Henry C. Morrison was a faithful missionary who served the Lord in Africa for over 40 years. He recalls that emotional day when he and his wife boarded a ship on their way back to the United States. His mind flooded with memories of the wonderful experiences they had enjoyed on the mission field. He began wondering, what would it be like to return to his Midwestern hometown? He asked himself, will anyone there still remember us? Aboard that same ship that day with Henry and his wife was the President of the United States, Teddy Roosevelt. He was returning from a big game hunting trip in Africa. When the ship pulled into New York Harbor, there were thousands of people there to greet the arriving president. The crowds were cheering, the bands were playing, there were signs and banners and billboards everywhere saying, welcome home. Dear missionary and his wife, with their luggage in hand, quietly made their way to the deck of the ship to exit. No one had come to welcome them back home. There were no bands playing, no banners flying in their honor. Henry Morrison went to his hotel room with his heart rather heavy. As he sat there on the bed, he asked his wife, Honey, for for 40 years we have poured our lives into ministry and service, and yet we come back to America and not a single soul comes to welcome us home. His wife came and sat down next to her husband, and she put her hand on his shoulder and she said to him, Henry, you've forgotten something. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. See, if, if life terminates here, then there's no reward there. If our motives are focused here, we forfeit what God has for us there. Hang on, Henry. You're not home yet. We could say the same thing to each and every one of us, right? Hang on. We're not home yet. God doesn't balance the books at the end of every day. There will come a day. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's rest. We walk by faith. Waiting that day. So there's a public side of the evaluating of our motives, and there's a private side as well. Again, in the three examples that Jesus gives, we we see the word secrecy used. He prescribes secrecy as as one of the determining factors in in exposing the motivations of our heart. You see it in verse 4. Your father who sees what is in secret, what is done in secret, will reward you. Verse 6. Your father, at the end of the verse, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Verse 18. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There's a private side, a secret side. Jesus is saying here that the true righteousness and the realm of, of religious devotion displays itself privately and secretly, not publicly and ostentatiously. It's secret. It's private. No one else sees except God. Now, there are times, to be sure, when, when publicity is unavoidable. There are those times. But behind the the public deed needs to be a life characterized by private devotion. This is especially true for those who are called of God to public ministries. If you have been called of God into the public ministry, there is double the temptation to seek and find your reward from man. It's easy to get caught up in doing ministry and forgetting who we're doing it for. God has given you speaking gifts. God has given you leading gifts. And you need to be very, very cautious in this area. It's a very dangerous thing to put a son of Adam in front of the people of God. James says in James chapter 3 and verse 1, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Stricter judgment. Judging our motives is pivotal. Judging our motives is possible. And the final statement that's important to this discussion is that judging our motives is personal. Personal. It's pivotal. It's possible. And it's personal. Here's what I mean by that. There is more than enough judging that needs to be done in my life and in your life than for me to worry about you or you to worry about me. That's what I mean. You walk away this morning from this Text and think about how blind and hypocritical the Pharisees were, you have missed it. If you walk away this morning thinking about how much your wife needs to hear this message, how much your husband could profit from this message if he would merely listen and put it into practice, how much your children, how much your neighbor, your friend, whatever it is, boy, do they need to hear this one, then you have missed it. You have missed it. This message is for you. It is for me. Notice that, that Jesus doesn't say, when someone else gives. Verse 2. When you give. Second person singular. You. It's when you give. It's when you Pray, verse 6. When you fast, verse 17. Very specific. Do it in a private way that seeks God's honor instead of your own. This section is all about self evaluation. All about self evaluation. Writer of the Hebrews says it this way Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to zero in on us. Help us to evaluate our own motives. So let me ask you the question again. Why are you here this morning? Why did you come? Why did you come? And why do you do what you do? Why do you sing? Why don't you? What? motivates you to do the things you do. What stands behind it? May we allow the Spirit of God to use His inspired Word to search our hearts. Go into the deep places. The closets. Where the door is closed, right? And stuff packed away. May the Spirit of God search there and reveal what's going on inside. We shouldn't fear it. If you're a child of God, don't fear Him. He loves you. He's committed to making you like Jesus Christ, but as long as your closet's full of junk, He's got to pull the door open. He's going to shine the light of His Word in. He's going to to clear the closet out. Embrace it by faith. If you need to repent, repent. Acknowledge. God, I have to admit, this past year, my work in Iwana, it wasn't for Your glory. It's really not what motivated me. I served in Iwana because I wanted people to think well of me. I don't want them to think I was a flake. I serve in the music ministry and I sing because, well, because I like it. I like to sing. Enjoy the sound of my own voice. I serve in the nursery because I want people to think I'm a martyr. Yeah. Oh, bless you, Mrs. So-and-so. You're always so faithful, servant in the nursery. How do you stand those crying children? Yeah. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Beloved, listen, it's difficult. It's difficult. It It takes some quiet time to really begin to evaluate our own motives. and Why do we do things? It's really easy to substitute our glory for God's. What a waste. What a waste in the end. The Spirit of God reveals to you something in this area than to call out to Him. Say, oh God, You already know. You already know. I fooled them, but I haven't fooled you. Thank you that Jesus died for this too. Lord, let me serve you with a heart of devotion. Begin to meditate on the gospel again. Think more clearly about who you really are, what Christ has really done. May that move your heart in love to serve Him. This passage is all full of rewards, isn't it? It just talks about rewards all over the place. God will give rewards to His children. Messiah establishes His kingdom. The interesting thing, I think, is those who we think are deserving of great reward, we may find out on the other side that there's not so much there. May God apply His Word where it's needed. Let's pray. Our Father, we're in the summer time here when the activities of the church slow down a little bit, when the pressures of life seem to ease a little bit, the days are longer, the the weather is more pleasant, school has ended, vacations are upon us, and it represents a really golden opportunity, O Lord, for us to do some self-evaluation, for us to... Spend a little time alone with you and allow your word to sift us. Our Father, you love us in Jesus Christ and and you love us supremely in Jesus Christ. You desire our good. And so, Lord, you warn us from your word to take stock of our motives. And I pray that you would help us to do that this summer. I pray before the, the fall starts again and we, we start signing up for things again, Lord, that you would really enable us to evaluate. Why do we do what we do? And Lord, that your Spirit would purify our hearts. We would be a people who are about not our honor, but the honor of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you do not know Christ as your Savior, when we spoke at the beginning about the gospel, that was perhaps news to you and you'd like further to talk about such things. How you can be free from your sin. Then I would like to talk to you. As people are milling around, you just come on down front here and let us open the Word of God together and see what, see what it says, all right? God bless you. Have a great Sunday.